Sorry about stealing your feelings, being emotionally misleading. What it was before, you know you never get it back. Tomorrow isn't even promised, and that's a fact. And I'm open, stage closing, doors needed to be keeping wide open. Here we go again, what's the excuse now? Maybe one day you'll figure it out. Gotta let me go, gotta let me go. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode ah. of Podcast. Back here in the lounge. Uh, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that this cast is coming to you a couple days late. I was on vacation. I was up uh, in Lake Harmony, which is up in the Poconos. What a trip that was. Uh, I got to be honest with you, going to the seashore, you know, I've been doing that for the better part of, what, 34 years. This is the first time that I said, hey... Let's skip the beach because with my luck, I'd probably get bitten by a shark because I like to go deep into the ocean. So I said, hey, let's go up to the mountains. Let's reclaim, you know, a bit of our history together and let's get back in touch with nature. And I got to say, Mick, uh, it was a pleasant experience. Uh, how are you doing? I haven't seen you or talked to you in a couple of days. I'm doing great, man. I've uh, finished up my twice annual cleanse for the summer. Feeling uh, refreshed, detoxed, uh, ready to take over the world. So uh, on Facebook, uh, I just posted this photograph of you with the President of the United States of America. Some people are saying that it's photoshopped. People are like, that can't be Mickey with President Barack Obama, but it is a true story. Can you uh, give us a brief synopsis, if you will, of what it was like being with the POTUS? It's also quite humbling to meet the uh, leader of the free world. I'm not going to lie, it was uh, intimidating of sorts. Uh, you know, he emerged from the room, he was doing the Q&A uh, for, to be a fundraiser for the PNC. And um, we heard his voice before he entered into the room, and it's just like you hear him on TV, and it was just that iconic, you know, I'm going to do the best I can for the taxpayer, for the dollar, and all this and all that. And then he emerged, and he, uh, you know, greeted uh, my staff and I, Asked uh, how we were doing, what our names were, and then he popped in the center of us for that now uh, famous photo that's being posted on Facebook that we're chatting about. So, did you get a chance to? Was it just a brief encounter with him, or did you get to shake his hand? Like, what what happened? Yeah, uh, like I said, he did a meet and greet with the rest of the staff that's in that picture. Uh, you know, he got to me. I was the last one before we put, took the photo, mm-hmm. and he uh, reached out his hand, shook my hand, and I was like, uh, "How you doing, Mister President? Nice to meet you." Did you mention you know, anything? Done. What's your name? Did you mention anything about pocket dial to the President of the United States of America? Yeah, that's the number one question I've been asked when I've shown <laughs> anybody that photo, if I mentioned my, my band, which is good, you know, and it's done right. But at the same time, uh, honestly, I'm not allowed to solicit my personal endeavors at work as it is. So I think it would be like, uh, you know, completely out of line to drop the um, <laughs> pocket dial reference on the protest there, as it were. Yeah, I heard he was about to rename the Hubble Telescope into the bubble. But no, uh, good job. <laughs> good job uh, meeting the President of the United States of America. Uh, that photograph can be seen on the Facebook <laughs> invite from the White House to the Ye Old Mansion House. Uh, we're doing a show August 7th. Uh, this is a 21 and over show. Uh, also, on August 1st, we're doing another comic book store gig, which I know you love and I love. Because it's a different chance for us to perform, you know, in the afternoon for kids of all ages. Uh, August 1st, come out to the Montgomeryville Mall, the Uncanny Comic Book Store, the Uncanny Comics and More. 
store's grand opening. Brand new store. We got a whole bunch of comics, shirts, lots of surprises. The straight Jamokers will be performing. Uh, other than that, you know, I, I just can't wait to perform, dude. Uh, this whole vacation uh, has been, I, I just been thinking about what I'm going to do, revising my lines. It's just going to be great. Can't wait for it. But we're here to talk about episode five of True Detective here on the True, True, Podcast. The, the title of uh, this episode, I believe, was Others, Other Lives, if I'm not mistaken. Other Lives. So uh, it starts off with a time cut, and for those of you that are not savvy with that industry term, uh, it's a jump forward in time. Uh, the last time we saw Bez Reedy's and the crew, a uh, massive gun shootout in the, the streets of Los Angeles, and it jumps forward in time. I think it jumps forward, I guess, 60 days, two months about. And uh, we open on Frank, and Frank has moved. Frank moved to Glendale, which uh, we coincidentally also used to live very close by. We used to go to the Glendale Galleria, you and I. Um, and he has scaled down his house completely. He has gone from, you know, the legit transportation, the third, like, uh, he's gone back in time, if you will. We've jumped in time, but Frank's going back in time. What did you think of, uh, Frank's new digs? Uh, you know, I think it's a step he had to take. He had to scale back, like you said, and I think he's happy. He's certainly not happy with the infidelity, or not the infidelity, but the, uh, what do you call it? Of his wife, her inability to get pregnant. He's not happy with that aspect of his life. Mm-hmm. Infertility, very similar sounding, but not meaning. And uh, he's a wreck. Frank's he's a, a wreck. wreck. And lo, lo and behold, Frank's a wreck. And lo and behold, lo and behold, here on the True Bobcast, which we mentioned so far in advance, he had something to do, or maybe not something to do, but something with the outcome of the rape of Velcora's wife. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that at the end of the episode because that was a bombshell. Uh, Velcora, we also see that he has changed Uh his job. He's no longer the detective and uh, within the two months' time, he stopped doing drugs and he lost the mustache. (laughs) You know, he's got no stash and, you know, basically... He's now working for um, Frank, um, I guess the personal security detail, working at the casino, working at the Lux nightclub. Um, he's not working for the cops no more, and he says, you know, it's better to walk before they make you run. And uh, that guy who's the, I, I don't know his name, but he's the guy that's uh, Detective Bezrides. Whatever that guy's name is, he comes into uh, Velcro's apartment, and he straight up tells him, you know, you got to get out of here. You're not working for the, the police department no more. So he's basically evicting him, and I love the way Vince Vaughn gives that look with his eyebrows. He doesn't have to say anything. It's just like, get out of my face. And then uh, we... Yeah, it was a very action-packed installment. Yeah, you know, and like, um, everything's changing. You know, I was thinking to myself, Mick, I'm not... I didn't look it up today, but I'm I'm sure of it. In season one, um, Hart and Cole, their story also jumps forward in time a few years into the future where the second half of the series takes place. Um, I, I guess Pizzolatto, he enjoys these time cuts and enjoys, you know, picking the story up with some time in between to fill in the gaps. Uh, I think Bezridi's uh, scene, when we jump back and t- jump forward in times, is the best one. She's in a sexual harassment anonymous, I guess, meeting. And, you know, she's sitting there with a bunch of guys, and the, the guys are, you know, giving her a hard time. And then the guy that's the media- mediator for the group, you know, says, you know, what's your story? And she basically just says, you know, what can I say? I, I really like big dicks. 
you know, length versus girth. And, you know, she she just completely opens the can up for these guys, you know, and they're like, oh, no, let her share, let her share. And I thought that was a great comedic moment. And I thought it was also showing a lot about yeah, her as a character. guy was grabbing his crotch. Was he? I didn't pick up on that. Was he really? <laughs> yeah, but Bez yeah, Reedy's, you know, she got uh, put on suspension, and now she's, I guess, what? She's uh, logging evidence downstairs in the basement. And uh, she's still working the case, though, you know? She's still trying to do her thing. And, you know, i got to hand it to the actress. She really does a good job with her facial characteristics of just showing her pure dread for her current situation. Marty. Yeah, you Marty, know. Look, at this point, it's inevitable. It's 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 unfortunate, but we have to compare the seasons. Uh, you know, ever since the end of episode four, that ended with a major shootout, like the episode four from the first season. There's too many similarities, and uh, not living up to the hype, as it were. You know, last week I was about to pull the trigger, just go completely off on this show, and just denounce season two as a whole, and like call it out for what it is, uh, sophomore slump, but. I don't feel that strongly, which is why I held back. Uh, after seeing, seeing the fifth episode, it, it does rekindle my affirmation for the show. I do love it. It's probably the best show on TV, but um, it doesn't live up to the season one. And, uh, you know, again, he's feeling uh, jumping through time. There's little, you know, development for the story, but... Um, nah, you know, I, 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 know, I was man. thinking the exact uh, same thing. It was a great episode. You know, I love these characters in season two, but you know, I I was thinking the same thing myself. I, I was for I was up in the mountains. I had no HBO, but I swear to God, I had no internet service. I had zero bars. I had an extended network. I've been roaming, and then one uh, I think it was Tuesday morning. I woke up and I I plugged my iPad in, and I was like, all right, let me give it a shot. And I swear to God, True Detective just popped up out of nowhere. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be able to watch it. I watched True Detective at 11 a.m. And I gotta tell you, that's a terrible time to watch the show. Uh, my wife, we watched it, yeah. and uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I was watching I, I kept thinking the same thing to myself, though. I was just like, you know, it, it's not the same as season one. It'll never be the same as season one. Season one is, is, is straight gold to watch. My next-door neighbor, Albert, now is watching for the first time. He's on episode six. He's hooked. But you know what? Sometimes, you know, I mean, like, uh, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, to replicate, you know, gunfire, like gold twice. You know what I mean? You can't pull like two rabbits out of the hat that are exactly the same but you know i still am invested in the story and i'm, I'm still digging it uh woodrow has now become a detective uh he's in the tmz uh i guess preliminary court case thing with that actress and i love how he corrects somebody in there and he says no it's detective woodrow ha huh. true detective you know what i mean he is a true detective. Uh, you know, I got to hand it to that actor. You know, he had a lot of bombs. He was in uh, one of the biggest Disney misfires of all time. It was uh, John Carpenter from Mars. Uh, that script had been in uh, circulation for over 20 years with the studio, and it's based upon a famous sci-fi novel. And um, th the film just completely flopped. Yeah, the original Luke Skywalker. I believe so, yeah. Like, I, Wait, I don't... that was him? Yeah, that's Taylor Kitsch. Yeah, that's Woodrow playing uh, John Carpenter from Mars. No way. And he's also the lead in a film no, called... No, not. Yeah, look it up. And he's also a lead in uh, Battleship, which was another misfire. So I'm happy to see him in this role because it seems as if he is a good actor and he's finally getting, you know, some sort of attention. But, um, you know, the, I was reading on the internet um, about Pizzolatto and you know how, like, we were talking before on the Bobcast how it's... You can be inspired by something, and then years later down the line, you know, you might manifest it yourself as an artist. 
Well, I was reading online that right. there's a lot of comparisons to um, Pizzolatto's season two of True Detective to an author called James Elroy. And James Elroy, for you uh, film aficionados, uh, is the author of L.A. Confidential, which a film was made with Russell Crowe and Kevin Spacey. They're not saying that it was that, that season two is kind of like that. They're saying that uh, the second book in the series, The Big Nowhere, draws various similarities to season two as far as um, a detective whose uh, son gets raped by a Nazi, and he knows it, but he raises him anyway. There's another detective has sexual identity crisis. But, you know, I, I, how do you feel about that? I mean... You remember last summer when Blurred Lines was the biggest hit and, you know, basically Marvin Gaye said, no, you, you, you copied it from me? Do you feel as if uh, replication of someone's art is valid in today's world? Uh, I think nowadays it's getting um, a lot harder to maintain copyright and uh, people got to let that shit go, intellectual property rather. It's like rolling it together, man. Just It's not about the dollar. It's about progression. It's about, you know, elevation of mind and moving forward as a whole, not about just getting your little slice of the pie. I mean, we're all eating, we're all fed, we're all American, right? So, yeah, I, you you're know... right, uh, it is... It is saying here how uh, The Big Nowhere is all about, you know, a disgraced cop working for Howard Hughes and Mickey Cohen, which is, you know, the guy who runs the uh, underworld, and then, you know, of course, the famous uh, uh, aviator. Well, um, also, too, I mean, in season one, Pizzolatto he basically came out in the media and said that he was drawing inspiration from, you know, that text, The Yellow King, and how, you know, this story would drive people to the edge of madness if they read the play. So, you know, for me, I'm still entertained. Um, someone who is uh, <laughs> not entertained by people coming into his club is Frank. Frank uh, has this great scene where these two, uh, I guess, Mexican uh, drug dealers come into uh, Club Lux, you know, and they try basically say, you know, we had a deal. With Santos, yeah, and uh, Frank just looks at him and says, look, uh, the door is in the same place, amigo. And then he looks at the one guy and he says, uh, can I help you, Cisco kid? I was cracking up. Yeah, I called him a similar, uh, uh, you know, phrase right before that. I forget it was, though. Yeah, but Frank's not taking any guff here, and Frank's, Vince Vaughn, I, I swear, like, he, he's just so sad and he's so like it's such a different I haven't seen him like this in so many years I, I mean I was watching um, I was watching this terrible movie uh, on FX uh, The Watch with Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn is such a goof in that Vince Vaughn in The Watch compared to True Detective Vince Vaughn is night and day um, speaking of night and day I can't stand um, the mayor what's his name uh, God, when, when, he's got that stupid cup that mug that he puts his martini in or whatever Frank goes in there and, you know, he just basically reads him the riot act saying, you know, you need to become straight with me. Uh, what's what's the mayor's name again? He's got the son. It's like Chisari. Chisini? Something like that. But, you know, I can't stand that guy's mustache, dude. And he plays the role perfectly, that guy. Being asleep and not caring and get out of here, Frank. And I just love it. And, it, and also, you know, him and Vince Vaughn play off each other really well. But... Once again, the story is all coming down to Velcoro in this. He is, I guess, our main detective, our main, you know, antagonist, excuse me, protagonist in the story. Uh, we go to a great scene where Velcoro is in an, um, I guess, you know, the lawyers are meeting and they're talking about paternity tests. And, you know, Velcoro just looks just, 
you know, I gotta hand it to him. I mean, he basically does know at this point probably that the kid's not his, but he says, "What does it matter? I raised this boy. I've never seen her look at me like that before. She really hates me." And I'm thinking like Frank, or excuse me, right? You know she hates you. She's hated you from the beginning. Yeah, but now the tables have turned. Uh, she doesn't think that he killed the rapist anymore because they found the actual rapist with the rape kit evidence. Yeah, okay, we might as well just jump, in, jump into that, because that was the big bombshell here in um, episode five, is, you know, the reveal um, towards the end of the episode where, um, I guess she was from the Ventura Police Detective, Police Department, or also the state CID, and she's trying to, um, she's trying to organize a, a confidential special investigation unit. She wants Velcro, and she says she can get his son, and she reveals the fact that a couple weeks ago, the serial rapist who, in fact, raped his wife was caught, found, and they ran a DNA check, and it came back positive. And Vince, excuse me, Colin Farrell's acting at this point where he finds out in the street that this this news, I, I thought it was fantastic. It was a mixture of hate, rage, anger, and he was just all over the place. Velcuro, he's the one to watch out for. Um, but let's wait till we get to the end because at the end of this we'll, we'll make some predictions as to what happens. Uh, the other thing of the episode that I, I took note of is uh, I can't stand Paulie's mom. Paulie's mom took twenty k from him, and he calls her a coos. Oh, I know. God, she's such a bitch, dude. <laughs> such a bitch, dude. You know. Yeah. Everything about her, just like oh. She's a victim. Yeah, I carried you around. I was a she's dancer. A victim of her own. You know, and it's just oh yeah, she's god. Blame everybody else for her problems. She's definitely not a true parent. No, she's definitely not no true, true, true parent. Uh, speaking of true detective skills, Bezridis uh, follows up with that missing girl, and I guess a, a letter comes back to her, gets reforwarded because it was in some sort of uh, you know mailbox, and it comes back with some photographs, and it comes back with a black invitation with yellow writing saying September 9th, admit one. Once again, I'm going to put it out there with the yellow handwriting. I don't know if Pizzolatto just loves the ominous color yellow. Does it have a connection to the Yellow King? I don't know. But these photographs are often mysterious. It's like almost like this person was taking photographs, you know, underneath their garment, you know, in secret to get evidence. And apparently one of the people in the photograph is the mayor, right, of some sort of town. Uh, Casper. Yeah, Casper was there. Casper. Where are these diamonds coming from? I don't remember the diamonds. Yeah, I thought I saw Casper when I was up at Lake Harmony this week. Dude, there's this guy. I know, wait, excuse me. It was actually a woman. And I was, <laughs> I was walking by the pool, and uh, you don't see it no more, but uh, she had these two, like, little... Uh, you remember back in the day when people didn't want to get their eyelids burned or tanned? They would put those black, like, uh, you know, like, eye protective wear on it. Like, it looked just like Casper when I was walking up. She was. She looked like she was dead, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Casper. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, like, we get the yellow invitation, you know, and then, you know, it's just on. Bez Reedy's is just going through all of her stuff. She's trying to get her old uh, partner back in it. Uh, and basically, you know, she's on the case. Uh, Frank has a meeting with Velcoro. Velcoro says, you know, he needs more money for his kid. And uh, Frank puts him on Blake. And Blake is uh, used to be um, Frank's right-hand man. And uh, through a series of, I guess, you know, um, a stakeout, Colin Farrell's character, Valcuro, follows Blake, 
Blake is seen with the doctor who is Rick Springfield and uh, my favorite scene of the episode is when I guess you know after Velcoro finds out this news about his son he takes it out on the doctor and he comes in quick and he is pissed off when he gets into the office and what does he say to him he says something like uh, I'm here to help you keep that cosmetic work intact doc and I was just like oh my god dude and he just starts I don't know what he's using like a billy club but uh, he just beats him to shit dude and my wife couldn't... I think it's called a Billy Jack. Yeah, she, my wife had to look away when uh, Springfield's character spit out the teeth. It was brutal. Dr. Pil- Pittler? Yeah, that's it, man. What did you think of that scene? I think Rick Springfield deserved it. He's a lion punk who uh, is up to no good. Yeah, basically, all he's all fixing up yo. the girls. Yeah, yeah, he's fixing them up. He's sending them out. He makes eights into tens. That was his line. Yeah, and I, I, you know what? i got to hand it to Springfield, man. He's a good actor, man. Kind of looks like Christopher Reeve in a weird way. Yeah, who would have But uh, Velcro's rage is fantastic. You know, he just goes all out, dude. What is he? he uh, Velcro says, you know, you, he's like, you're a pin-eyed motherfucker. Uh, you know, and then, you know, I guess we see Velcro, and he, he goes back to his ex-wife, and they seem to be, you know, having a conversation. And she basically tells him, you know, we have to stop this fake story. We have to stop pretending to be a family. We have to stop this, you know. And she, she basically tells him, you know, when you went and took this man's life who supposedly raped me, you know, you ruined everything. You ruined everything. And in Velcro's eyes, you see that he realizes that Frank ruined his life. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of moving parts in this one. I think I said that before. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, uh, Velcoro, you know, he's already now at this point, you know, he signed up, I guess, for this confidential special investigation unit with Woodrow and Bezridis, and, you know, he, he just can't get this out of his mind that Frank, you know, put him into play. Frank put him into motion. Frank knew that he could take advantage of this cop at a weak moment to get him to work for him. Frank doesn't like being called a gangster, but Frank is a gangster in my book, and he basically just played Velcro, man. Like, and he was a drunk then. Oh, my God. Was, all the rage just built up. Frank, at this point, is trying to patch things back together with his wife. They're waking bacon. They're smoking a joint in bed, and he's talking about, you know, how, thank you for telling me about, you know, the adopted son and how, uh, you know, like it was very, you know, Vince Vaughn getting emotional, which was kind of a different side of him in True Detective Season 2. True, true. Bobcast. But, um... You know, they're, they're trying to get their life together, and, you know, I, I'm walking on eggshells at this point because, you know, there's a knock at the door, and it's Colin Farrell. And, he, you know, he's like, are you alone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the way that Vince Vaughn comes to the door, he's got the gun, you know, and, oh, man, I, I just wanted to see that fight scene so bad, but I knew it wouldn't happen because we were already seen the pin-eyed motherfucker get the doc get his ass beat. I can't wait to see what happens, you know, as soon as the, the opening credits are finished uh, Sunday night. What do you think is going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. They're going to fight, they're going to make up, and they're going to find out that Mayor Chastani's son is responsible for the deaths of Caspier and the other fucking crooked bitches. Well, at the end of the episode two, Bezridis and Woodrow go up north and they find those uh, carrion crows and they find this, like, what, torture chamber where I guess Casper was mutilated and, you know, murdered. But, um, yeah, it, it all comes down to, I guess, that the, the, the mayor's son is behind things, but I feel as if that's too easy, though. You Wait, you think that the mayor's son's behind? Right, but again. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. 
I just think that's too easy. I think that's too A to B. Like, it's too, like, you know, a straight line. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, any other predictions? Well, listen to me. Last year, last year they introduced uh, the lawnmower man. The same episode, time slot, as they introduced the sun, I think. My folks have been around here a long time. I picked up the past as soon as then when they moved on there. But yeah, I I can't wait to see what happens. Um, you know, I apologize to the true Bobcast listeners for the delay. I was up in Lake Harmony. Uh, definitely tune in next week for another episode of True Bobcast. Don't forget to check out Pocket Dial. Pocket Dial's got two shows coming up: August first, Montgomeryville Mall, Uncanny Comics and More. August seventh with Montage, and uh, I believe uh, another special guest to be announced shortly. At the Mansion House in Country Hawken, for you downtown Harvest fans out there, that was the first gig I ever played back in 2000, I believe, 2001. Um, our friend Bob uh, Haynes is a, is also a great guy. That, yep. You know, it, if, if I could time time in there too, uh, the Mansion House was the first place I ever performed live for the first time with downtown Harvest back in 2002. I recall it, and I remember it well. I wish we had video back in the day, but there wasn't really much streaming devices. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for more things here. Uh, I can't definitely, that was in the 2000s. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, next week, tune into another episode of True Bobcast. Also, check out Pocket Dial's brand new website, www.pocketdialstyle.com. <laughs> uh, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of True, True Bobcast. True Bobcast. <laughs> Tramadol, Abilify, Zoloft, Xanax, Tramadol, Abilify, Zoloft, Xanax, Tramadol, Abilify, Zoloft, Xanax, Tramadol. We all been there. Down in the dumps, no end in sight Feeling like a chump, stay in bed all day Stay in bed all night, paralyzed Afraid of life, it gets better One day at a time, I gotta keep your head up Stay strong, you'll be fine, remember that Be true to yourself, yo, depression sucks You gotta let it go Gotta let it go